welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Tom, for getting together on this beautiful morning at Lamar Sculpture Park. Um, I met you, um, we've had coffee together, and that was really, uh, we've enjoyed really an engaging conversation then. I really appreciate the questions. I don't re- remember exactly what you asked, but they were really good questions and it made for a really good conversation. So I'm just looking forward to talking with you again. You have a background in computers, and you're also a coach, you're, you're married, um, Anything else you would like to kind of say about yourself, just to, you know, as a means of introduction? Uh, pet owner, weightlifter. Okay. <laughs> That's, yeah, I think, I think being a coach, being a husband, those are the, the two primary parts of my life that I really enjoy and am passionate about, and everything else is just kind of fun. Okay. So, how long have you been a coach? Uh, I've been officially a life coach for about four years now, maybe a little over four years. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I was uh, helping run a nonprofit um, centered around mentoring teenage boys around emotional literacy. And that's kind of, that was my gateway into coaching was, was stepping into the helper role with youth and then finding out that the adults needed it too. So how is coaching different than therapy and uh, counseling and things like that. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's a it's a gray area. Um, for the most part, the way that I present it to, to most folks is that counseling therapy often we're looking in the past and we're we're figuring out kind of how you got to where you are um, and processing through some of the some of the traumatic events probably uh, that happened in the past. Whereas with a coach. My primary directive is to look in the future and to to help you get really clear on what it is you want to be doing, who you want to become, so that we can create some action towards that. Um, so that's that's the easiest way to to say it to most clients, especially. That's that's what makes it clear for them. Okay. Um. So it's forward looking, and you're um. For me. I kind of know um, where I want to go. You know, I, I do have a plan for forward, you know, in my own life. But sometimes there's just a matter of consistency and discipline, you know, and moving in that direction. Um, does coaching help with that? Or is Yeah, you know, coaching, everybody does it a little differently. My primary focus is on uh, skill building. Hmm. So how do we help, how do I help individuals who kind of see their future once once they get clear on what they want, there's a bunch of skills that we develop to get them out of their own way because the consistency is a really big one um, and the reason we're not consistent for the things we say we want. They, they get in the way on a regular basis. And so if we can develop a skill with somebody for getting out of that mentality and, and figuring out why they're inconsistent, and a lot of times it has to do with the beliefs we hold about how the world works, um, but once we can get through that, then consistency isn't a challenge anymore. It's it's something that's just natural. Hmm. Yeah. So, are there does anything come to mind when you're talking about um, kind of false beliefs and how the the world works? 
that can get into a person's way? I think the way that I the way that I view the world, um, the way that I view people, is that uh, all of the behaviors we have, whether we think they're good or bad, they're there for a reason. We develop them at some stage of our life because they served a purpose that either kept us safe or got us what we wanted at that point. Um, so when we look you know, as an adult at where we are in life right now, there's this recognition that these things that used to serve us maybe don't anymore. But we have to do some investigation to, in order to uncover what those assumptions and beliefs are. Um, and so that's, that's part of the skill building, is, is teaching somebody how to identify what the belief is first. Um, as far as, you know, is there a consistent belief that I find in a lot of clients? No. Okay. Um, everybody's stuff is different. Um, and so that's what makes it really engaging to, to be in this because I never know what I'm going to help them find. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, what, what most of us have going on is, is deep, deep down, if we were willing to take the time and get to the hard stuff, we already know what the problem is. We already know why we're inconsistent. We already know why we don't do the things that we say we're going to do or that we know we should do in order to get the things we want. Um, But we live in such a busy world that it's sometimes really challenging to take the time and exert the energy because it takes energy to to find out who you are and to sit with yourself long enough to to do that work. Um, So a lot of of the time spent for somebody to identify what their beliefs are is really me asking questions and them just going inside and figuring out what the answers are. And deep down, they already know them. That's, that's what I love about coaching. I'm not ever giving answers. Mm-hmm. I'm just asking questions. Mm-hmm. So are, when, you're, when someone is um, working with a coach, um, is it just a, kind of a one-time meeting or does it stretch out over time with several get-togethers? Yeah, it depends a lot. For me, um, I work a little differently than some coaches. I don't put together a package you buy a certain number of sessions or anything like that. When I work with folks, um, we work together as long as both of us think it's serving a purpose. Um, so I've had clients that are as short as two sessions, and I've had clients that are in the triple digits. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really just depends on the person and what they want to get out of the coaching conversation. Some people just need a little push. Some people want somebody to have an ongoing dialogue who they feel understands kind of their history and their past and all the work they've done up to this point. Um, some people just want accountability for the stuff that they've already identified so that they don't have, <clears throat> excuse me, so that they don't have to go and explain it to somebody else. Um, they can just work with the coach they've had for a while. So it really depends on the client. Mm-hmm. Well, what has made a big change in your own life or has uh, changed the course of your life in a, if anything, in a pretty significant way? Has there been anything in your life that's really kind of you know, made that change? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we've all got those if we're willing to, to take a step back and look for them. Um, mine are pretty clear. Uh, I've had two pretty major events that, that really, as an adult, changed the, the course. Um, one was when I was in my uh, mid-20s. I quit the American dream, as I call it. I had, I had the big house, I had all the cars, I had the job that was paying me way more than any mid-20-year-old deserves to be Hmm. uh, receiving, and I was miserable. And so I quit. I quit everything. I 
uh, got rid of the house, got out of the seven-year relationship, got rid of all my stuff, and moved into my truck and traveled around the country for seven months. Um, and that was a really amazing opportunity. You know, it's it was very sweet and very sour at the same time. Um, but it was a wonderful opportunity to really kind of explore myself and figure out who I was, or at least start that work, because I had never done it up to that point. And then the second time was... Um, probably about five or six years later, uh, going out on, on a fasted vision quest out in, out in nature, basically being alone in a small patch of woods for five days without eating and kind of doing some really intentional internal reflection work. At that point, I had a different toolbox at my discretion. Um, and so I was able to, to really do some slightly deeper, slightly more meaningful, uh, interaction with myself that makes sense okay um a different toolbox what are you referring to uh as as all of us grow we we develop different mechanisms for interacting with ourselves um you know when i was when i was getting into this stage right before my road trip i learned how to journal i just learned Mm -hmm. you know the importance of picking up a pen and putting it to paper um that was, that was a new tool for me at that stage in life, which sounds really silly, but that was a really meaningful way to, to interact with myself. Um, going out on the vision quest, I had learned meditation. I had learned um, some, of the, some of the archetypal work that uh, like Joseph Campbell is, is really well known for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had been running rites of passage initiations for youth, and within that there's a lot of really kind of explicit exercises we do uh, around self-discovery, and so I had all of those in my in my back pocket because I'd been training mentors to do them for the last couple of years. Um, so I had a lot of that kind of space, and then I also had a mentor who was open and willing to give me some specific prompts and some specific tools to say, "Hey, try this, see what happens." Um, you know, he he told me, and it sounded really silly at the time, but he said, "When you're meditating, just go inside and ask if there's anybody that needs to talk." And I was like, what does that even mean? He's like, I don't know, just try it. And I did it, and lo and behold, you know, some some different parts of me came up and wanted to, to be heard. Um, and so a lot of a lot of the exploration was around who are those voices. Um, and not voices in the in the crazy schizophrenic way, but just as kind of as labels to put on different aspects of, of myself so that I could interact with individual aspects of myself to explore, you know, what the problem was or what the power that they, they had was that I had been underutilizing, that kind of stuff. Okay, so I, I, see, I think I see what you mean by toolbox. Like the first time you went out just hitting the road, you were like a different person. And, and then the next, you know, your vision quest, you, you had things um, that could make the time more purposeful. I guess, and um, and then the I guess the outcome, what you got out of that, probably was quite a bit different too than yeah. just kind of hitting the road, huh? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I was. I was. I was. A. I was older. I was. You know. Right. I had more experience, more life experience under my belt, but I also went in with a little more intention. I kind of knew the the possibility of personal change, and so went in with a lot more intention to to chase that down instead of with the road trip it was more of a I just need to escape escape everything I know and see what else is out there now going without food for five days um, 
so does, is that helpful or is that like, it seems like that'd be a little bit of a distraction, like the hunger and so forth, or is it not? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tool like anything else. Um, okay. The first few days, first two days especially, are the worst. You're just hungry. Yeah. But that can be its own work, is to, is to really learn to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. and learn that you're still okay even when you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I've done lots of different fasting kind of, kind of experiences throughout my life. And five days is a lot, but by the end of the second day, you're not really hungry anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you're really just kind of clear, which is an interesting thing to have happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know evolutionarily, evolutionarily if we are designed to fast or not. There's a lot of kind of ideas around that. But I know that for me personally, the, the clarity that I get when I choose to do it, that, that approach is very useful when doing meaningful reflection work. Hmm. I've experimented with fasting. So I do intermittent fasting almost daily um, or have before um, for long periods of time. As far as just having like an eight-hour window that I eat in. Yeah. But um, I've tried extended fast, and I don't know. I just wonder if my body type might be kind of different because, um, yeah, the first day, it's all right. The second day, it's kind of uncomfortable. And most people, you know, tell me about the experience you had. three Day, day three, mm-hmm. and you're kind of, uh, yeah, there's clarity, and it's not, and, and you're just kind of going into like a different, state your body is and um but i was just kind of feeling sick you know and then fourth um i was on my fourth day and yeah i was just feeling this just doesn't feel right at all and um and eat when i when i've tried that even after starting to eat that's that didn't make it better it like took about 24 hours to start feeling normal again you know yeah yeah i think um you know for me there's some really specific uh what i call approach work when, when getting ready to do an extended fast. Um, and a lot of it is reducing carbohydrate intake so that your body starts processing hmm. fats more okay. effectively and more efficiently. So doing that for a couple weeks beforehand, um, you know, there's, there's a whole diet called the, the ketogenic diet and they have, they have what they call the ketogenic flu, which is for the first couple days to the first couple weeks of not eating carbohydrates, you do feel sick. And it's because your body is not sure what to do without a steady stream of, of glucose hmm. to, to deal with. And it, you know, isn't very good at converting fat into glucose. And so for me, stepping into a longer fast is there's, there's some approach work around, okay, I'm going to reduce okay. that carbohydrate intake a couple weeks out, mm-hmm. get the body used to this idea of like there's not sugar available all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I have less of that experience because I've had that experience as well on longer fasts of like, this is just miserable. And I just feel like I've got the flu and this sucks. Yeah. Well, that's encouraging because that means I could still maybe do a a fast and might work out. Um, Yeah. It might just have been my approach. What would be for, I'm, I'm always curious for you, what would be an experience that would be worth going into that level of discomfort for you? Like what would cause you to say, you know, I want to do a, an extended fast. Um, I think it was maybe just the, um, experience itself because it is a little bit of a, a thing, you know, on the internet and so forth, the, the whole idea of fasting and different fitness type of things, um, 
have do kind of interest me. Like I, are you familiar with Wim Hof? I am. Okay, yep. so I kind of I enjoy like cold water immersion and um, and that type of thing. And it's like uh, just the experience of it and uh, seeing what would come from it. Um, I think that's it. Um, then you know I've, I'm familiar with um, some of the um, physical benefits of doing a fast occasionally. So there's that as well. But yeah, as far as I remember, that's all I was thinking I of. I think it's kind of like the quantified self idea of like figuring out how you interact with these things that you read about or see out in the the world around you. I mean, how you your body reacts to it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just to, to experience it and see what that's like. Okay. Yeah. What, whether it's Wim Hof or, or fasting or one of the other things you've learned about, what do you think has been the most impactful for you? As far as like different fitness type of things yeah. like that? Um, the cold water immersion is something I enjoy. It's invigorating. I'd like to do it more. Uh, that's made an impact um, you know, just kind of having a regular routine. Um, I do some body weight strength training type of things. And it's just kind of like an undergirding support for the rest of my life. Just feeling a little bit better. Just feeling like I've done some hard work. Um, so I don't think it's made any kind of like huge impact on my life. But it's been um, it's been just an enjoyable part of my life um it's a mood setter i think you know having being involved in a fitness routine i'm super curious because i'm a huge fan of cold water immersion Mm -hmm. um how do you in the summer in st louis get access to consistently cold water i don't okay i take cold shower i took a cold shower this morning yep but it's not super cold in uh in the um summertime um what I would like to do is to get a 100-gallon trash can mm-hmm. um, because, like, even if I fill up my tub with ice, mm-hmm. I can get into it, my legs can get into it, or I can kind of scoot down and get my upper body into it, but I can't hardly get all into it at the right. same time. Right, you've got a bathtub made for not a, not a full-size man. <laughs> right. So a trash can, like, I've thought about different things, like, trough um, sometimes people get like a, a chest freezer mm-hmm. and they convert that into something that seems like that'd be really neat but um, I was thinking what would be easy would be a big trash can and it's kind of the right size you can just kind of get down into it you're in the water neck up and uh, you'd still have to fill it up with ice which is a little bit inconvenient but I've got uh, my, my, my wife's aunt um, who probably thinks I'm absolutely crazy when we go out to her house for the holidays. For me, uh, kind of around the New Year is always a great opportunity to do like a, a real polar plunge and, hmm. and get into some icy water. And we were going out to her house for, for Christmas, New Year's, and I was like, wow, this is going to be a weird request. But hey, Aunt Heidi, like, can you get a cow trough up by the house? And like a couple bags of ice from the store. And she's like, "Why?" And I'm like, "I'm I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna get in the water filled with ice." And she's like, "What?" And I was like, "It's a thing I do. Like, just trust me." And they all, they all thought I was a little crazy, but it is really it's invigorating. It is a mood setter. I totally agree. I think it's especially when paired with a with breath work. I think it can be 
kind of really resetting just in general of like it builds a sense of calmness like ah, if I did that I can survive anything today right and you do strength training too right I do I've been uh, lifting weights for 14 years now um, it's been an evolution but yeah I'm, I've I've always had a physical practice that involves weights and strength training yeah yeah um so you were talking about these two different things you did, like you were intentionally wanting to make a big change in your life. So that's that's kind of interesting. Every once in a while, the idea comes to me, like, is there something I could do? You know, it's almost like getting out, getting unstuck, you know, just something that would um, really shake things around and just see, you know, where do I end up? So that's kind of interesting that you really took the plunge, so to speak, and, and did that. Um, you mentioned Joseph Campbell and archetypical type of things. I'm not that familiar with him, but what I know of him or I have heard of him is like he's into stories and how they've come about and um, in through cultures and um, and the arch, uh, yeah archetypical type of stories and. Um, is that what you were, how you were relating to, to him and what he's done, or was it something different? Or? Yeah, no, so um, a lot of the work that I did while at that nonprofit um, had some underpinnings of Joseph Campbell. You know, we used, we used four different archetypes um, as a way to help teenage boys engage with themselves more effectively and kind of interact with parts of themselves uh, in a meaningful way. And that idea of, of the most effective way to get people to relate to reflect is to tell a story um and i think that's you know i've i've seen that over and over again that that storytelling is really this this way to get people to kind of go inside sometimes and and figure out who they are when they're listening to a story of somebody else Uh, okay so it's not so much that they need to tell a story but they're listening to a story yeah you know when when a story is well told we put ourselves in the shoes of one of the characters um, and you can tell some stories in, in some really interesting ways in order to really naturally invite people to do that and then ask them feedback about what they think is going on in the story to hear feedback about what's actually going on inside their lives. Hmm. Um, we've, wow. we've, you know, we were really blessed. Uh, we had a gentleman from Colorado who studied storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so he would bring these really interesting stories to events and... You know, one of them was, was, I love it, the story of half boy. Boy is born with one right arm, one right leg, one right ear. He's half a boy. Um, and everybody ridicules him in the, in the village, and he has to go off, and he has to explore, and he has to, to go on his, his rites of passage to, to find himself mm-hmm. um, in a very literal sense. And he hits these certain obstacles along the way. And when you tell that story to somebody and you ask, what's that obstacle? What do you see it as? And they respond, that tells you a lot about the obstacles that they're facing in their lives and how they view them. Hmm. And, and you, you make the story ambiguous enough that they can insert themselves into it, but clear enough that it, it provides them a journey that feels really, really uh, congruent for, for their experience. That's hmm. um, interesting. Yeah, it's, and you know, even from a, from a marketing point of view, you've got uh, 
guys like I think it's Donald Miller and the Story Brand. Oh, yeah, familiar with um, And even Seth Godin and and kind of his his approach to permission marketing is all around telling somebody's story as you're marketing, as your sales pitch. You're telling them a story that invites them to step forward. Hmm. Um, you know, they're the hero in this story, and I'm just the guide that helps them on that path. And I really do, as a coach, I view I view that as my role, and, and I've really internalized that. But it, it is really effective. When I tell you that I'm the hero in your story, you shut down. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to make everything better for you. It's, it's not actually all that appealing as a human, because we want to step into our own power. And I think, you know, the power of storytelling allows us to invite people to do that really effectively. Was that one of the tools of your vision quest, or... Were you relating that to something else, to your previous work and so forth? Um, it wasn't as much around the vision quest. Okay. Um, there was some storytelling that I created out there, trying to see what kind of story I write for myself. Um, but yeah, it, wasn't, it was less of going out and reading a story and seeing how I fit into it. Okay. So... Okay, so how did that change your life? What, what? How was your life different after, you know, uh, these things, especially the Vision Quest, uh, than before? And you know, anything um, enduring and long-lasting uh, yeah. as far as the change? It's interesting because the two separate events had very different kind of setups, right? In the in the road trip, I got rid of everything. Mm-hmm. So when I came back, everything had to be different. All my mm-hmm. stuff was gone. The, the person that I had committed seven years of my life to was no longer part of my life. Um, my job was no longer available. I, I had taken that off the table. Um, and so I was really forced into, into rediscovering a lot of things after the road trip. Whereas on the vision quest, I came back and everything was quote unquote the same except for me. My wife was still my wife. My job was still my job. Um, you know, if I never told anybody I went out there, nobody would have ever expected me to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very different in the fact that I had to, you know, kind of stick with it. I had to, I had to kind of take what I learned about myself out there, and I really had to live it. Which it's really easy to say, right? Logically, we know, oh, I learned this about myself and now I just have to go do it. But to actually go do it is always the challenge, right? It's the consistency, it's the action, it's the thing that we all get stuck on. Um, and it's it's always the biggest challenge is to actually live the things we learn. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really easy to read a book and to say, oh yeah, that makes sense. But it's really hard to go out there and consistently live what you learned from that book day in and day out to see how it impacts your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the, you know, the big things, especially from the vision quest, you know, it was, it was two words that I took away as, as my big learning. It's I'm big, but I'd never felt big in my entire life. And so when I came back, I had to learn how to live more powerfully as myself. I had to learn how to express myself as this new, bigger version of me. And that meant stepping out of my comfort zone on a regular basis and trusting my intuition on a regular basis, which I had never done. I was always the, the very logical, very head-based, like, if this, if this makes sense, I'll do it. If it doesn't make sense, I won't do it. And now all of a sudden I was saying, well, if this feels right, I'll do it. Hmm. And if this doesn't feel right, I won't do it. And those are two very different things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it you know there's a challenge especially with the people you care a lot about that you know when you come home they know you went out and you did something but they still treat you exactly like the person you were when you left they don't have any choice that's that's the only person that's the only version of you they know mm-hmm. and so you know one of the really challenging things is is to almost train the people you care about how to treat you as you are now um and i see that a lot as a coach but i see it a lot in my own personal journeys of you know when i get home from something like that i have to sit down with my wife and really tell her you know what happened who i am now and what that means for our relationship with each other um and kind of where my struggles with it are so she can support me there and where I don't feel like I'm struggling anymore compared to before I left, so she doesn't have to try and support me there any longer. Um, so were you married at the time? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I think that's that's one of the most challenging things for anybody doing change work. It's really great to have that that internal shift, but then to to go out and interact with the relationships you have and to realize that they're going to continue to treat you the way they used to until you train them differently mm-hmm. is really challenging. Um, but it's really worthwhile because then you're on the journey together and, and they get to be a part of your active development and you get to have them as a, as a really meaningful support structure in your life. Hmm. Yeah, I remember when we talked before, it seemed like you had some good insight when it came to relationships. And I don't remember just exactly... Um, just you know exactly what it was but um, you seem pretty mature as you know as far as handling relationships and that you've you know you, you do have some insight is there anything um, kind of uh, big principles you keep in mind when it comes to relationships that um, that guide you in your relational life with other people I think, yes, um, the big one that jumps to the front of my mind right now is, is trying to always remember that, that relationships are a choice, that I, they can fall apart if I don't pay attention to them. Um, I can choose to drop them at any time, and they can choose to drop me at any time, and that means that they take work, and they're worth the work. They're the relationships I care most about. Um, are worth investing work into, and you know, especially around my marriage, um, but also around you know my really good friends and the people that I do invite on the journey with me in a meaningful way. Nobody wants to pick up the phone, right? Like I'm just as guilty of that as anybody. Like picking up the phone and calling somebody is hard, especially when I spend most of my day on the phone anyway um, with clients. And so remembering that. If I care about them, it's worth picking up the phone. Even if they don't answer, even if I'm just leaving them a voicemail to let them know that I'm thinking of them and that I care about them and I appreciate having them in my life. Um, You know, that gratitude kind of practice can be really valuable for me, but it also really does let them be seen, you know, let them know that people are thinking of them. And that's, that's an important thing for humans, I think, is to know that we're not alone, that people are thinking about us. Um, and so choosing to be a part of that and choosing to let other people know that I'm thinking of them is an important part of how I react or interact relationally. Hmm. Um, 
And the other part is, I don't know, and a lot of this came from the vision quest, but stop beating around the bush, right? Like if you Mm. love someone, tell them you love them. Right. And I, I tell most of my friends I love them because I do, you know, if, if you think what somebody is doing is, is really inspiring, tell them, stop talking about the weather. Stop talking about, you know, how the car is running. Talk about the things that matter with the people that matter to you um, is, is one of the ways that, that I choose to go through life. So I'm, I joke with people that I'm not good at small talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really good at talking about the stuff I care about, and I'm really good at asking people about the stuff they care about, but I'm not very good at talking about sports or weather um, or, you know, what, what you're doing at work if you don't care about your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, I don't know, but it, it works really well for me to, to anchor and cement those, those relationships in a way that makes it a give and a take. I can ask of them to support me, but I can also be there to, to support them. And mm-hmm. I think that's really rewarding. Is it um, structured in any way? Um, well, like for one thing, um, the more people we have relationships with, the more we're kind of spreading ourselves thin. Um, so do you think about that, uh, about um, who you want to, as you, you said it, you know, journey through life with, you know, those who are cl- close to you? Um, is there structure in the whole thing in that way? Um, and um, do you have particular disciplines so that um, you're, it's not just good intentions like, I intend to call so-and-so regularly, <laughs> but um, when I have that opportunity to call them, I don't even think about it until I don't have the opportunity anymore. Like, um, do you, so is there anything, is it structured in that way at all? Or is it just um, more of that's what you want and you just lean that way and it just kind of works out? Yeah. It's a, it's a great question and a hard one to answer. Um, the first part of it, you know, kind of spreading ourselves thin. I think I think that is true, but it's also a bit of a limiting belief because we can bring our friends together. Um, and that's that's a hard thing for a lot of us adults to do because oftentimes we wear different, different hats with different friends. And we kind of end up being different people, different aspects of ourselves with different friends. Hmm. Um, and so what I see a lot is people not wanting to, to bring their friends together. You know, this is, this is my work friend. This is the friend I talk to about relationships. This is the friend I talk to about this. Um, but I think, you know, there is a lot of power in bringing our friends together. If I think you're awesome and I think they're awesome, if I get you two together, there's a good chance you'll think each other are awesome too. Um, and there's this, this really great opportunity for creations to happen over there not just between me um, and these individuals. So I really view relations as an opportunity to connect the people I care most about with each other a lot of times. Um, and then on the, what, what was the second aspect of the question? Because I, I forgot that bit. Like, are there any particular disciplines? Like you had mentioned calling people mm-hmm. um, so that I could see how that could maybe be like, well, a good intention, but um, for myself, a lot of times I'm pretty busy, but then I do have those gaps of time where I could do something like that, but it just doesn't come to mind at that time, you know. So do you have anything that keeps your uh, 
the things you want to do in relationships from just being good intentions where it's like it's very purposeful I'm going to cause somebody or do something on this particular date or something like that yeah okay um, there's a couple of practices that I until we started talking I didn't realize that these are something I do consistently but um, they tend to be so at least I, I basically set it up so that at least once a day I'm reaching out to somebody um, whether it's an interaction like this where we get to sit down and have this great conversation um, and we just happen to be recording it or it's a call to somebody or it's a text to somebody um, and that coupled with a second practice of when when I think of somebody I write it down because I might not always be in that moment able to, to reach out to them because life is busy uh, hmm. you know work happens life happens I don't always get to call somebody or text them or message them right when I'm thinking about them um, but I write it down oh thought I, and usually it's just a name like Darren and then I go back through that list and I, I use Google Keep on my phone just as a simple way to, to keep that list and I just check them off as I call them so I've got this list of people that I know I've thought of recently and then I can just call them and say hey I was thinking of you recently how are you um, or hey I was thinking about you because this happened and it reminded me of this time that, that we were doing this other thing mm-hmm. um but, you know, if I reach out to at least one person every day, in some way, we live in a world, I'm going to get voicemail most of the time anyway, and that's totally okay. Um, you know, sometimes the communication feels one-sided, and that's okay, because I'm, st- I'm just sending my love to them, right? Whether we're on the phone with each other, whether we're in person with each other, or whether it's an email that I never hear back on. Like, I, th- I see you, I'm thinking of you, I love you. Um, so those two practices, I think, are, are really important for me. And those stem from a deeper practice I've been doing over the last uh, nine months or so called a surrender experiment. And, you know, I, I said earlier, I don't like reaching out. I don't like picking up the phone. Even though I love these people, I'm a human. I don't, I don't like exerting the energy to do the, the outreach. Mm-hmm. Um, but this practice that I've been working on is called a surrender experiment. Basically, when you see yourself resisting doing something that's the thing you go do and so that paired with this when i see like oh i'm thinking of darren i should call him oh, i don't really want to call him oh okay that's the that's the surrender opportunity and so then i okay yes now is the time to do that um that's been that's been a game changer because i never get off of that phone call and i'm never disappointed that i did it which is really really obvious when I say it out loud logically, but intuitionally, it was hard to, to recognize that every time I resist calling somebody, if I just pick up the phone and call them, at the end of that conversation or at the end of just leaving that voicemail, I feel way better. Mm-hmm. I feel way better. And that's a really great kind of like positive reinforcement cycle to just continue doing it. Mm-hmm. So you, do, you try to do that daily. And then is there anything um, that you tried to do like as far as getting together with friends and stuff like that, um, something a little more than just kind of reaching out on the telephone. Is that something you try to do on a regular basis too, like weekly or a couple times a week or? Yeah, I've got, I've got one buddy that I make sure we get together face to face at least once a week. Mm -hmm. Um, with, with coronavirus and the pandemic, that's, Hmm. I'm usually a, 
every Thursday night I go to this major event which is full of people I walk around I know a lot of the people so I get to interact with them there I get to meet new people that's not happening anymore hmm. um, kind of this this newfound extroversion that that I've come upon since moving to St. Louis doesn't get to express itself very much right now mm -hmm. um, which is a bit of a challenge so I do make sure that me and that one friend get together and then I try and schedule stuff like this where I can get together with with an individual one-on-one -on -one in a park over coffee and just talk and mm -hmm. just connect and you know sometimes I if if I think there's a good connection point with somebody else in my life I'll invite them along and if they can make it great um then I also, you know, I participate in, in a men's group, which is kind of how we initially connected. Mm -hmm. And while I don't do a lot of face-to-face -face group events right now, I definitely participate in a lot of the virtual events and help facilitate those. So mm -hmm. conversation circle, circles via Zoom, um, you know, setting up happy hours so guys can connect with each other one-on-one, -on -one, that kind of stuff is still really important for me. Um, and with um, your wife or parents, are your parents still living in... Uh, my dad recently passed away, uh, so that happened okay. about two months ago, but my mom wow. is still around. Yeah. yeah. As far as relating to parents, is it, and your wife, those relationships, is there, is it any different or is it pretty much just how you relate to the other people in your life or? Um, yeah, I think right now I'm really, I don't know, I, I put the word lucky on there. Um, I'm really blessed. I'm really lucky that, uh, my mom and I have maybe the best relationship we've ever had. Hmm. Uh, cool. We get to talk about our struggles and our joys together in a, in a really transparent way. Mm -hmm. um, and we both lead such different lives, of course, because she's retired and, mm -hmm. um, you know, she just has totally different priorities than me. So it's really great to, to get to do that. Um, my wife and I, obviously, now that uh, we're in the pandemic all day, every day, we're in the house together. Um, which has been its own challenge, but also really rewarding. Uh, there's not a specific practice that we have. We've tried a couple of things, but none of it has really stuck as far as, you know, a lot of times for dealing with, with problems or, or challenges that come up in a relationship, you know, it seems really worthwhile to have like a weekly check-in that's expressly around, okay, what, what's your challenge? What's my challenge kind of stuff. Um, We've tried those and none of them have been really authentic for us. So we have a pretty open line of communication on a regular basis. Um, we're always allowed to ask each other what the needs are. Uh, and we're always allowed to be really honest in what those needs are. And that is really worthwhile, but also kind of challenging. Sometimes my need is to, to get away and to, you know, I need some solo time. I need to be away from you because I need some time to reflect for myself. And that can be hard to hear sometimes, but as long as we both approach it with, with authenticity, it works really well. Mm -hmm. um, and then we can say, ouch, you know, that hurts. Mm -hmm. And that hurts because this is the story going on in my head. And so it, it becomes kind of the relationship building dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, so as far as family goes, you know, I've got a, I've got a sister as well. So it's kind of like remembering that they're out there. Mm -hmm. that again those are relationships not to take for granted mm -hmm. um, you know I'm, I'm really lucky that I get to talk to my sister and that she loves telling me about what's going on in her life like that's fantastic I should remember to, to do that once a month mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and sometimes that takes a calendar reminder for those people that I care a lot about but I don't always think a lot about mm -hmm. um, you know a quick google reminder that pops up on the third of every month or whatever that says hey have you talked to 
Have you talked to your sister lately? Mm-hmm. It is a really meaningful way to go, oh, no, I haven't. Fantastic. Let's call her. Um, she gets added into the list because now I've thought about her. Um, yeah. As far as just yourself, do you have daily routines? I know you're a journaler and um, that that's a meaningful thing to you. You said you ask yourself questions and just kind of muse over the questions and stuff. Anything, do you want to say any more about that? Or is there anything else that's just a part of your day-to-day life that really kind of supports you and keeps you going in the direction you want to go in? Yeah. Um, I think the challenging bit is I, I never say never and I never say always, right? Okay. I think if you do something every single day, it ends up kind of becoming a bit of a, of a box that you put yourself in. Um, and so I think there's always room to step out of our patterns and our behavior sets. That being said, uh, I do often find myself journaling. That's probably a two or three time a week kind of experience. Most every day I meditate in the morning. Okay. Um, but if I'm not feeling it, I don't do it. it I really have to like think that it's going to do something for me because if I just sit there and I'm squirmy, mm-hmm. it's not going to do me any good. So then I might do breath work instead. Um, like Wim Hof breath work or something? Uh, Wim Hof sometimes, uh, depending on how, you know, I find the Wim Hof really, it's great when I need to go do something that's mm-hmm. requiring some energy. If I'm about to go work out, Wim Hof is great. Yeah. Uh, it's not great when you need to like think clearly and uh, kind of be able to sit and just work, you know, mm-hmm. at a computer for a couple hours. It's not, not great for me, at least, for creating that kind of focus. So there's other other breath work, box breathing or, or Dr. Wheels, uh, four, seven, eight breathing, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, coffee breathing, whiskey breathing, all those kinds of things. So, but yeah, I, I, you know, if I'm not meditating, I'm doing breath work. I read a lot. Oh, do you? Um, so in general, I, I take about an hour to hour and a half every morning and I fill it with either meditating, breath work, reading, writing, and generally some combination thereof. Yeah. Um, and that, that hour is really sacred to me. I wake up early to make that happen um, because I know my wife doesn't like getting up early, so I know that I'll have that kind of undistracted space. Yeah. Um, and that has been really powerful for me uh, to be able to just take that space and, and use it for whatever is needed most. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only other practice is really like working out. I do almost every day in some degree a lot of it is is listening to my body and figuring out what it needs that day Mm -hmm. um but at least five six days a week most weeks Mm -hmm. there's there's a movement practice that that gets involved um and i think that's just for my mental health is really really good for my physical health it's really good um and also just for kind of tuning out all the work all the all the the monkey mind stuff you know, my brain, just like everybody's, loves to go a million miles an hour in a thousand different directions. And mm-hmm. for me, breath work especially and physical practice is a way to get really focused mm-hmm. uh, and away from that monkey mind for even if it's just an hour or two is really, really powerful. Cool. What kind of things do you like to read? Uh, so I've got kind of my fiction and my nonfiction. I read nonfiction in the morning um, to get my brain ramped up. Uh, and those, the topics range uh, everything from business, marketing, um, to, to more what I call woo-woo stuff and kind of spirituality and that kind of types of reading. Right now I'm reading um, 
living with joy. Uh, I think before that I was reading Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. So those kind of books first thing in the morning. And then uh, to put my, my mind to sleep at night, I generally read what I call my foo-foo sci-fi fantasy books. So I'll, mm. I'll pick. Right now I'm reading through some thousand-page monster. Um, and it, it's just fluff for me. It's not something to get invested in. It's really just something that takes my mind off of the workday so I'm not chewing on problems mm-hmm. and I can go to sleep. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think reading is, is, I've been tracking it for the last year and a half um, and bringing a little more intentionality to it. And it, it's just incredible how much reading you can get in without spending a ton of time on it. Hmm. And I think it's the, the easiest way to gain knowledge. I think it's way more effective than going in for a certification or, or doing an online class or something like that because it's something you care about. It's something you're interested in reading. Mm-hmm. And you can do it in the 10-minute times you're waiting in a parking lot for somebody to show up for a meeting. You can do it while you're waiting for your coffee to, to brew, that kind of stuff. So it's it's easy, bite-sized. Yeah. Yeah, I've been enjoying audiobooks lately. Um, and they're convenient because you can listen to them while driving. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not much into audiobooks, but I uh, recently on driving down to, to my dad's house to, to clear out some of his stuff, I listened to an audiobook and it was like, oh, this is the best way to drive. Like, time flies. Because <laughs> on a six-hour drive, I get pretty bored pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So it's like, time flies. My mind is engaged. I, You know, because it's a good story, I'm putting myself into the story. Um, and it's, I, it, it's almost a reflective practice while driving, which is really amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Do you generally do it just while driving, or are there other times in your day when you find it popping in? There's other times. Driving or walking, um, or sometimes if I'm doing something kind of really, you know, that I don't, don't have to engage my mind with, um, certain types of work are like that. I can um, house cleaning. I clean an Airbnb house, you know. So uh, those are times I can listen to something, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. I love it. I think I think that passive passive intake of knowledge is really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes um, it can be overload a little bit too. Like I guess like anything. Um, like I also listen to podcasts a lot, and um, sometimes it's almost like I'm lis- listening to so much, or there's so much going on in my earbuds. Um, that I'm not listening to a whole lot, but I'm just having it playing, okay. and um, it's almost like I'm an, sometimes an information junkie a little bit, like I just input input, um, where I would do off, where I would do better if I was more in, mindful, engaged in what I'm doing, and having some times of silence and so forth, you know. But so I'm curious, well what are what are your practices around kind of maybe taking all that information that's coming in through your ears? Um how how do you process it? You know, when do you process process it? How do you determine if it's worth processing? Well it's not in a very structured way. Um uh, you know I I just like um Information, you know, certain things interest me. Uh, Jordan Peterson, I listen to him; he's inter- interesting to me. Um, other th- other people who are kind of um, lean a little bit in like a philosophy type, you know, type of uh, sense. 
And then I do like just to sit down and plan and journal and kind of think about my life and think about um, the major problems in my life, where I want to go, um, what kind of routines can I set up to move me in that direction. And I think all of that stuff that has come in, some of it is going to work its way down and influence me when I am doing some of that life planning. Um, but that life planning type of stuff is um, it's like really exciting to me because there's so much potential in it. Now, I'm better at planning than like living it out. I think it's in... Um, biblical book of Ecclesiastes where um, the author says uh, the, the end of something is better than the beginning and I'm not so good at the end of things but I'm really good at the beginning <laughs> okay what do you think gets in the way between those two for you um, I think it's like getting excited about some something else like it, it might be like just kind of when I'm planning it's exciting and then after a couple of days it's not so exciting anymore, and I kind of, kind of, drift off course a little bit. And then when I um, run into a problem, I kind of think I need to scratch it all and start all over again with a new plan. Mm. Um, whereas right now, I'm trying not to do that. I'm trying. When I sit down to plan, I think, well, let's first review how things been going, and. Um, well, how can we modify what we've already been doing and make it better if I haven't been consistent with it? Mm-hmm. What, how can we make it so I will be consistent with it? And I think I've been doing a little bit better with that lately. Um, but as far as what kind of gets me off track, well, I don't know. It's just I don't feel like it at the time. Like this morning, I was going to get up at uh, 5.30 to get my morning routine in before heading over here. So part of my morning routine is um, journaling a little, journaling a little bit. Um, it's um, you know reading the Bible, having a time of prayer. Um, then it's going to go out and do a workout, and then head over here. Well, I just didn't feel like getting out of bed, you know. So, um, so I got up and uh, got over here. <laughs> but and. When something like that happens, I'm always super curious, like the internal experience, like, okay, so you knew you wanted to get up early, do all those things, but then you didn't. Yeah. What goes on in your mind when you do finally get up? Um, some, uh, this, this morning, what was going on in my mind was, um, I kind of looked at the bright side. I looked at, well, you know, maybe I need a little bit more rest. A lot of times, if I don't feel like getting up in the morning, it really is because I need a little bit more rest. And and I I thought, um, you know, I could, when I get back home, I could go ahead and do some of those daily routine things at that time. Um, I don't tend to beat myself up. I normally think, well, <laughs> um, it didn't work out today. Um, Something along those lines, I guess. Yeah. Everybody's so different when, when that happens. And I think that, that moment, you know, when the recognition or when the, the awareness hits that you didn't do what you said you were going to do, 
Um, I think that moment really determines a lot of how able you are to do anything moving forward. A lot of people get stuck in what I call the, the pain cave. You know, they either get filled with guilt or they get filled with shame, um, or anger at themselves, you know, frustration, kind of sometimes even just like this, this just dogged awareness that nothing's ever going to work out. Um, and those are the people that really struggle to, to create meaningful effect in their life. And then, you know, people who give themselves what I refer to as grace and, you know, they accept, okay, great. I didn't do that. Why? Why didn't I do it? Right? Like being curious, being willing to, to be the, you know, the intrepid explorer of your own experience and kind of find out like, yeah, that was so important. Why didn't I do that? Instead of you lazy son of a gun, why didn't you do that? Um, the people that, that approach with curiosity tend to have so much better outcomes. Hmm. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm guessing most of it is because they're not sitting there beating themselves up. And so they can, you know, reorient far more quickly to what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it's a really interesting thing to just see how different people react to it. Thanks mm-hmm. for sharing. I appreciate that. You're welcome. So what's, um, like one of the most satisfying things that you experience in life? Uh it's the reason I'm a coach. It's mm-hmm. when somebody... It's different different by person, but, you know, the first thing that really fires me up is when someone recognizes that they have control over their life. Mm-hmm. When they can... <clears throat> when they are in charge of changing the way that they experience their existence. Um, and that it's not the world happening to them, but it's the world happening, you know, by their hand. I think... That's a magical, magical moment for a lot of people, um, and it fires me up, man. When someone when someone hits that that mile marker, that's a really magic moment for me, um, whether I'm their coach or not, right? Like whether I'm, it's a friend who's going through it, a client, or just some kid I'm mentoring through math at school. Like, wow, that's awesome. Um, and then you know, kind of a little bit further down the developmental stages is when someone recognizes that it's all simpler than they thought it was. Hmm. It doesn't have to be complex. We make things really complex, but they don't have to be. Um, and, you know, oftentimes what we what I see is when things get simple, it, it really boils down to, you know, love and service. And when people find, you know, what they love, why they love it, and and how they can be of service. I think that's a really, for me, that's a really powerful moment as well. Um, You know, if if that's a client, often we're done working by the time they get there. Um, Mm -hmm. But they call me Mm -hmm. and they say, hey, this happened. And I go, oh my God, that's amazing. That's Hmm. the best. Um, Those are the two things that that really light me up. Um, Mm -hmm. And they really are the reason that I choose to be a helper you know a a person who just is of service Hmm. um i mean outside of that there's you know the moments when i recognize just the beauty of everyday life sometimes sitting out 
outside in the morning drinking a cup of coffee and watching a bird fly by. As simple as that is, you know, it really does go back to like being willing to stop and smell the roses mm-hmm. and recognize that, that that might be the most important thing I could do for myself today or for the world today, like is to, is to see beauty mm-hmm. around me instead of always being searching. Um, hmm. Those, yeah. you know, those magic moments, which can happen anytime I choose to stop and pay attention, mm-hmm. um, are really rewarding and are really, a, they build a positive feedback loop for me to keep kind of doing the, the challenging work. You know, when I get off the phone call with somebody, I didn't necessarily want to pick up the phone mm-hmm. and it was a great conversation and I feel fired up like, oh, that's a magic moment. Like if I stop and I take a moment to just really be aware of that, ooh, we got a weed eater starting <laughs> in the background. Um, you know, that that keeps me fueled for more of the day. Just hmm. not just having the experience, but then taking just a moment to recognize the experience for what it was. Like that was a really great conversation with somebody I cared about. Hmm. Yeah. That was a really magic just moment of watching a bird do what birds do right like that is nature that is what is mm-hmm. happening all the time whether i'm sitting out here or not mm-hmm. um, so those those moments really kind of keep me engaged and and choosing to to keep doing the work it's really neat how you're other centered and you can get joy and satisfaction in that i that's something i wish i was more other centered like i wish i was an encourager um where I would recognize the good in other people and state that to them so that they could be an encouragement to them. I, I think what kind of keeps me from it is because I'm, I feel like I'm just barely making it through life myself sometimes, so I'm more focused on me. Like There's not almost like uh, something left over for others because I'm just barely keeping it together myself, mm-hmm. so I have to focus all of that attention upon how I'm doing and how I can do it better and um, get over whatever obstacles I have in my life. Um, But that is something, um, seems like there would be a lot of satisfaction in not being self-focused, but, you know, taking delight in how other people are doing and being a part of it and uh, being a nourishing aspect into their life you know so how do you how do you do more of that how do you you know you've got lots of tools in your toolbox mm-hmm. if that's what you want more of how would you do it um i'm not for sure i mean um it needs to be more than just good intentions because i've read a it's been something um I've desired for a pretty good while. I've read a book on encouragement. Mm -hmm. I recognize um, how it would be a blessing to other people. And I recognize I'm in a place where I'm a father of several children. So I'm, you know, I'm in a place where it'd be great to be an encourager. Um, But um, how to, to do it when the rubber comes down to the, you know, the rubber meets the road um, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a framework that I use a lot as a coach um, that I really, really love. It's called uh, it's Immunity to Change, and it's uh, created by a gentleman named Robert Keegan and a, and a woman named Lisa Leahy. And it's a really great way to, to help ourselves kind of 
track through our own processing. Um, Because so often, you know, as a coach, I see it a lot. But, you know, everybody has this tension between the thing they want and the behaviors that keep them from it that they exhibit. And that's, that's why they call it the immunity to change. Oftentimes we create this kind of immunity within ourselves to creating the change we say we most want. Um, and I think the, you know, having an intentional framework to go through to kind of do that self-exploration can help us, all of us, as we identify like, oh, I want more of that, but I keep not getting it. Why? Mm-hmm. Um, and it really does help with that consistency aspect because it, it helps us identify what's underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us, you know, we identify what we want. We identify the obstacles that keep us from getting it. And we stop there and we try and fix the obstacles. Hmm. Um, but that's like, like taking an aspirin for a headache. It doesn't fix what caused the headache. It just fixes the headache. It fixes the symptom. Um, and I think so often in our lives and in our culture that that's all we've been asked to do is to fix the symptoms. Um, but when we dive deeper, we actually create more meaningful outcomes because we're fixing the cause of those symptoms. Or at least becoming aware of it so that we know what, what the true obstacle is. Um, yeah, I don't know where that's going, but that's, that's just something that always comes up for me when, when I talk about change work is, yeah, the only person who can do it is you, right? Like the only person that can make Will be more grateful and more encouraging to other people is will Mm -hmm. the only person that can make tom do any of this stuff is tom um how do we how do we allow ourselves to do that and have it have it be not only effective but maybe even fun Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that's when we start having fun with this stuff that's that's when magic happens that's when jazz is going on right like when it's not just hard work that I have to go and grind through every day, but it's stuff that I get to do that I'm excited to do. Even though I hate picking up the phone, like I get to do it because I know it's going to pay off. And mm-hmm. I've seen it enough times now that it's like, Oh yeah, I know this has, has, has some benefit on the backside. Mm-hmm. And so it's worth doing the hard thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, it, you know, where you're at is, is super understandable that that survival mode, that sense of like, I'm just barely making it. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, we all we all get some of that sometimes, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so easy to stay there, but it's so rewarding to step out of there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um. So. Um. I guess we, you know, when we were talking, we talked a little bit, like I come from, a, you know, a theistic viewpoint, Christian viewpoint, um, and that's kind of like a undergirding framework for, you know, everything else. Um, and I know you're, I think you're not like a theist, at least in the regular sense, Um so, um, what, what is your, um, is that something you've thought through for yourself as far as like, um, what your undergirding, uh, framework of reality is, or, um, I don't know, I don't know exactly where I'm going, yeah. but I just thought I'd throw that out and see 
Do you have any thoughts? Or? That's a big question. There's a yeah. lot of thoughts there. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of lot of thinking that goes on there too. Yeah, um, yeah I'm not a not a religious. I'm not necessarily even a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm the first one to say I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what. I don't know why we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I ever will know. Right? Like I can I can believe. I can, mm-hmm. you know have a faith towards something but I'll never actually know mm-hmm. um, so kind of my my general guiding framework at this stage is that I don't know and so I get to explore um, and you know there's there's a couple of things I, I do believe I, I do believe I the only person or thing that determines my daily experience is me um, you know I can't control what happens to me I'm not in control of that, but I control how I respond to the mm-hmm. things that happen to me. Um, and taking control in that way changes the type of things that tend to happen to me. Um, I don't necessarily believe in some in a greater being, um, but I'm but I'm open to the possibility because we're here, mm-hmm. and either this is an intelligent intentional design or this is dumb luck but either way it's pretty cool and because I can't know I'm totally open to the idea that that there is intentional design here Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as how that instructs my daily life not knowing is is really kind of a key belief if the the more I can let go of knowing the more I get to explore the more I get to to kind of go in with a childlike mind and see the world Mm-hmm. in front of me and see the people in front of me and step out of judgment um, and step into to encouragement and uh, I think for me that's that's the most powerful place I can be is is just curious and not not having the answers um, I always joke with clients they, they think I'm going to tell them exactly how to get the life they want I don't know how you're going to get the life you want I just have really powerful questions to help you figure out how to get the life you want Mm -hmm. um you know i've got some tools that might help you along the way but i don't know but it's really fun to step into that conversation to figure out how their world works because it's always so different from mine um and i think that serves me really well you know i i i before the pandemic was grateful to get to do some uh some mentoring with youth here in st louis uh in the classroom so helping helping high schoolers with math i'm not i'm not a mathematician by any stretch of the imagination um but what i really hit home for me there is like i don't have to be i just have to ask them questions and see where they don't know the answers where their confidence falls apart is where they're struggling and then we can work together to figure out like where's the gap and how do you fill it um and it's such a human-centered approach that feels really authentic for me around, yeah, the math isn't the hard part, right? The, the figuring out what to do with your life isn't necessarily the hard part. It can be kind of overwhelming and big and require some time to sit down. But the hard part is being willing to, to identify the gap, to not let our egos get in the way, and to be willing to say, hey, what's going on? Why, why aren't these answers easy? Um, and instead of saying, you know, you're just a failure and you just, you're bad at math, instead saying, well, I mean, you, you know up to this point and then something happens. What's that something? Um, 
And so getting to do that, I think, is a really, that is the framework I operate under. It's like, I'm just here to explore with people mm-hmm. and to see, see where they're at. And, and knowing that as I help a kid with math or a client with changing their lives, that's me exploring me as well. Oh, I see this story come up in myself around my abilities with math. Oh, I'm having this whole separate experience than this kid, but we're both learning and we're both in it together and we're both on that journey um, in the same space. When I'm helping a client, like I'm over here having my own little mind explosions about how my life works. Um, and we're, we get to do that together. They might not always recognize that's what is going on because I, I always keep it very centered on them. Um, but it's definitely happening. Hmm. And I think that keeps me moving forward mm-hmm. and keeps me following that, that heart-centered intuition that guides me to, to be what I consider a good human, you know, to, to be of service, to, to be authentic, to be truthful, to help, to, you know, to love. Uh, that curiosity really kind of guides me that direction. That was a long answer to a short question, but that's, no, that's where it good. takes me. You know, so questions are important for you. Um, and I like questions too. Like my family, sometimes we're just sitting around in the evening and I'll just throw out a question and let's go around the room. Like, uh, what's the big challenge in your life right now? Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, some people like questions like that. Some people just don't. They, you know, it's like, um, it's like you can tell they are just not wanting uh, to answer that question uh, or they don't want to deal with it. It's not the type of conversation they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, um, I enjoy those types of conversations. Um, do you encounter different, uh, way, different ways people um, respond to questions? Do, do some, are some people just not interested in that type of conversation? It's like... Um, no, let's just watch a movie instead, you know, or something like that. Yeah, no, every, everybody's this... It, they really are beautiful, unique snowflakes. Um, yeah. Going back to that idea of every behavior has a reason. Mm-hmm. Right? The reason they don't like those questions is almost and often more interesting than the answer they would have come up with. Hmm. Um, you know, why is somebody... Why does somebody hate having those big questions asked Mm -hmm. and forgive me i'm a little distracted there's kiddos playing right right near Mm -hmm. us on a playground it's just the most wonderful thing um but i think you know what i find is that if i feel like we have to get to a destination right if i have to know what your your biggest challenge in life is most of the time i'm going to end up kind of disappointed because not everybody's going to want to share and not a, not everybody even has the language mm-hmm. um, especially if we're you know if it's if it's a group of strangers we might not have the trust um, in order to get where I think I want to go but when I'm willing to let go of the destination and just recognize that whatever they show up with is exactly the most interesting thing that I can go down the rabbit hole with them on conversations get really easy um, so if somebody wants to watch a movie, great, what do you love about movies? Right? Like, I don't actually want to watch a movie. If one turns on, there's a good chance I'm just going to leave the room. But if we can engage somebody in what they do care about, like, what is it about that movie? You know, is it the action? Is it the, like, what, what appeals to you in there? And then, and then why? Right? Like that, that magical question of why. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that was, that was a real game changer because... 
I viewed myself as an introvert for a long time. And looking back, I ask, you know, why, why was that? And it was because I was afraid to ask questions because I was afraid that I had to have the answers. Right? I was afraid that if somebody didn't have the answer, I had to fill in that space. Or I had to make it simple for them to fill in that space. Um, that it was my responsibility to kind of drive the boat. Um, but eventually, you know, I kind of decided to let go and just let the boat drive itself and know that wherever it ended up was great. Uh, and that, that opens the door for people to be who they are and where they are. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had the greatest... A really great learning opportunity. My wife and I got invited to go on a six-day backpacking trip in, in the Grand Canyon. Oh, wow. Um, really, really amazing opportunity with, with four great people. And one of them was uh, this 73-year-old ex-judge. Hmm. And at this point, I was really into asking people what they were passionate about. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I asked this judge, hey, what are you passionate about? And he says, son, there's only one person who gets to ask me that question. It's my wife. <laughs> right, like he was not going to go down that that conversational rabbit hole, and I was really taken aback. I was like, "That asshole!" Um, you know, like how dare he not want to go down that mm-hmm. that path with me? Um, and it took me a while to kind of be like, "Oh yeah, that was his experience. That was him not being comfortable with that topic mm-hmm. with me." There were so many other directions I could have gone just based off of his reaction. I could, we could have talked about his wife. We could have talked about, you know, I could have done some exploration to figure out what he was comfortable talking about. Um, I could have just, you know, talked about backpacking because he was obviously really passionate about that. We were spending six days in the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a really great learning opportunity for me of like, oh, when I, when I have my hand firmly on the rudder, I might drive us aground. But when the current takes us where the current takes us, I don't know anything about boating. That might be a terrible metaphor. That might be the easiest way to beach a boat. But I get it. <laughs> but when <laughs> but when the current is taking the the interaction wherever it goes, mm-hmm. it it ends up somewhere really interesting where I'm doing a lot of learning at least, and and maybe they're doing a lot of learning. I can't ever say. Um, but it's always far more interesting than if I've I've got my hand on the rudder. Mm-hmm. Um. So, where are you going in life, or is there anything that you're th- you're thinking? This is my, you know, what my challenge is right now. Uh, this is um, I want to go there. Is there anything way you're wanting to grow in your own life at this point? Yeah, it gets it gets simpler and simpler uh, the longer I go down this path. It's like used to be having the right job and having the right house and all that stuff and it did that that didn't work um kind of where i'm at right now is is more and more recognizing reality for for what it is and recognizing what is reality versus what is my reaction to reality um and being willing to 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 question and explore that that reaction um I am finding more joy in my life than I've ever found, and it's through the simplest things. It's not through any of the things I thought would make me happy when I was younger, you know. And knowing that I will continue to to change and evolve like all of us are, um, and just kind of being really actively curious about who who am I becoming, day in day out. Um, hmm. What 
what is it about that bird landing on that fence that is just so so wonderful to me? Um, and continuously being willing to find those places where I am resistant and knowing that, that that's my work. My work is always where I don't want to look. It's always where the tender spots are. The thing I need to focus on most is the thing I want to focus on least. And that when I hold that recognition, it makes it easier to do what would be considered scary things for me. And those scary things change day in, day out. Sometimes it's picking up the phone. Sometimes it's telling somebody what I think about them. Sometimes it's inviting a client to do something they don't think they're capable of, but I do. But when I see that resistance, that's when I know that that's the place to go. So that's, that's what I'm excited about is continuing to find that resistance, which seems really silly, but it's, it's really simple and it's really rewarding. In your own life, but in the, and also in other people's lives where they're resistant or like when you're trying to help them, is that something else you're looking for? If they're there. Okay. I think the, one of the most challenging things as a coach, as a human, is getting stuck in the belief that more is better. But more is just more. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. And engaging with people where they're at. It's not my job. It's not my responsibility to draw people forward before they're ready. Right. Hmm. It's my job to be there with them where they are when they're ready. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of a challenge, right? Because I've got this, this job description in my head about what a coach is supposed to do and kind of this personal description in my head about what I'm supposed to do as a, as a human. But... It's not, to, it's not to force people into growth. It's, it's to invite them when they're ready, mm-hmm. to be aware enough to recognize when they are ready, mm-hmm. um, and to be there with them as they explore that growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means I have to be aware of the same things within myself. I have to know when, when am I pushing for something that I shouldn't be? When am I resisting something that I shouldn't be? You know, when am I when I'm when am I in kind of conflict with reality, um, and how can I how can I consistently step out of that conflict? How can I consistently recognize, oh, this is exactly what it's supposed to be. What's my role here? Um, that's that's really for me exciting work, but it sounds really basic. It's not what I thought I'd be saying. <laughs> Well, before we wrap up, is there just anything else that you'd like to say or um, bring up or anything? I feel, you know, I know this is kind of the nature of podcasts, but I feel like we didn't get to explore you very much. Um, I'm, I'm curious that last question, where do you see yourself moving? Where are you excited to be going next? Um... Well, you know, I see, I see in you um, being other-centered, and another way to put that is love. The way I think of love is um, being other-centered, loyalty. You know, having a, a loyalty to someone else's well-being, and and that's where I would like to go um, more for a couple reasons. Um, one. It just seems like the one of the best <clears throat> things in life um, to really feel loved is really 
good. Um, and I can think of like, you know, stories where it just, I was in a situation and it just occurred to me, these are loving people. Um, it's not, they're not doing it because they think they should. This is just, I mean, they're not doing it as a sense of duty. They just genuinely uh, want to show me attention and, and love. And that's uh, really neat. And then I also have found that when I um, am in that state of mind where I'm doing this um, and considering the other person and what are they going through, um, how can I you know, be a blessing to them, that, that's really good. Um, and it's so much better than just the busyness of just getting things done. And it's also a part of, like the Christian faith that I'm a part of, that um, according to the Christian faith, uh, our God is a, a loving God, and we're to be like an imitator of that. And everything's, and you know, there's like lots of tedious commandments in the Old Testament that Israel was given, but um, there's a couple places where um, they're just summarized as <clears throat> do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. You know, this just kind of summarizes everything, you know. And uh, so in other words, um, to love. And uh, so, and then in the New Testament with uh, Jesus, really everything's been taken care of. I mean, like there's been peace made between um, uh, us who are and and God because of uh, an atonement has been made. So, so what's left to do? You know, you, we don't have to work for that acceptance. So the the commandment is just you know love one another. You know, there's like nothing else to do but just to love. So that's a couple of, of reasons why um, you know I, I think of of love as. I would like to have more of that in my life. I would like to feel it more and to be able to receive it. Sometimes um, mm-hmm. when people are um, probably trying to express care and kindness and love, um, I probably am thinking, um, I'm not taking that as being sincere, but I, I might be thinking... Um, uh, I don't want to take up too much of their time or something along those lines. And also, I want to recognize the love of God um, and not just to take the, the fresh air, providence, um, the beauty around me, relationships for granted. I want to, to you know, be thankful for those things and recognize them as uh, love. And then I want to be shaped by that love um, where I'm becoming more of a, a loving person and I think there would be a lot of, of joy in that, in moving in that direction. And um, just in talking with you, it's just kind of neat to see the, the satisfaction you have in your life of being other-centered. And, um, and that, you know, that seems to be along the same lines as the way I would like to go. Um, it, you know, yeah, my life, uh, my day-to-day, a lot of times it's like, Ah, there's so many things that just need to be done, you know, just practical things. Um, and knowing how to hold on to those things, of course I can't just drop it off. You know, that wouldn't be good for me or those around me and my family. But then on the other hand, as I was just talking with you, I was just thinking, in a hundred years, it's just going to all be dust anyway, probably, you know. So, um, 
you know, not to put too much of an emphasis on that and miss out on the more bigger things, what I believe will be enduring things, you know. So I think that's the direction I'd like to move in. Remembering that we maybe need to mop the floor, but we also need to tell people we love them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic, man. It's been been really good talking with you, and I just appreciate your insight, the maturity you have, and you know, thinking about these things. So thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for making this available to people. We'll give a little bit of um, information about how people can contact you if if they want to, if you want to give out that kind of information. Yeah. Uh, Easiest way is just my website, uh, choicecoaching.us. That's, that's where my coaching practice is, but you can also just reach out to me socially through there. I've got email and phone number all listed over there. So choicecoaching.us. Um, yeah, I, there's no sales pitch, right? It's just like if you if you're at that stage, great. Let's be there together. <laughs> All right, thanks, Tom. Yeah, thank you. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life.